main volunteer team is our editorial team. So a team of international students, non-students, so people above, maybe around PhD, even some assistant professors, but really a very, yeah, quite diverse team of international uh, volunteers who take the, the responsibility, who take the role of going through content and uh, publishing it. Hey there, fellow Rethinker. Welcome back to the Rethinking Podcast. In this episode, we talk with Joram Gerard. Joram is the managing editor of Exploring Economics. While joining Exploring Economics, he has studied EPOC, the master of economic policies in the age of globalization. Joram explains the e-learning platform that Exploring Economics is, how it works and how it can help you. We talk about pluralism, his journey through it and how it can change your perspective. Are you excited to explore economics? Well, all the perspectives are waiting for you on the platform, but let's hear the story behind it all first. We're happy to have you rethink with us. Enjoy the conversation. Hey Joram, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. What have you been up to? I am, well, I'm currently on holiday and I got your invitation, which uh, is really nice. I'm happy to be here. How are you? I'm great. I'm even better now that I get to finally learn how exploring economics works. Because honestly, I I know about it. I hear it going around a lot. But what is it exactly? And how does it work? Um, exploring economics is an e-learning platform. As it already says in the name, it's an e-learning platform around economics. So that's a very short description. I'm sure you want a longer description. Um, I mean, I would love some more explanation on how it works. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, well, Exploring Economics is a project as well, a project of the Netzwerk Plural Economic, which is the Network for Pluralist Economist, Economics Sorry, in Germany. It's also a rethinking affiliated group. And it was started in the year of 2016 by volunteers of the network. And since then, it... Yeah, developed to be actually run by a whole number of international volunteers. And what the idea of Exploring Economics is, that it is an e-learning platform, not just, well, with basic economics, because there are some and there are a lot of universities that teach economics, but Exploring Economics aims to provide content that is not often taught or taught in, um, in universities. So Exploring Economics provides a whole lot of economic schools of thoughts and a whole lot of content on this. And you first of all have, yeah, you have different sections. So the very first section of this e-learning platform is an orientation. So um, if people visit the, the, the platform, they can look through different schools of thoughts. So economic schools of thoughts, and there's an interactive way of just finding out, yeah, what are the basic differences? What are the basic assumptions? There are some infographics where you can just click through. It's, it's supposed to be easy access, but you can also read about them in like very usual foundational text. So yeah, you have a text on neoclassical economics, you'll have a text on post-Keynesian economics and so on and so on and so on. So this is the very first uh, section, the orientation. Well, it's also the first mission to provide orientation for students, non-students, really everybody on the internet actually. Obviously, the platform is on the internet, but the platform is also open access, so it's free. We only use free material, 
and everything that we produce is also free. Yes. And there is a second section to the page. So the first one, you can have some orientation. In the second section, you can um, what we call discover. So someone from Rethinking Economics uh, at some point on Twitter posted, this is the Netflix of economics. And to those that know Netflix, you will maybe understand this picture. It's really you scrolling through different kind of content. A lot of this content is actually external content. So your podcast, for example, is also to be found in there somewhere. And uh, that means there's a lot of videos, there's podcasts, there's texts, anything that uh, we deem to be e-learning material. That's very important. It has to be, yeah, it has to have some content that you can learn something from. And this is not just uh, randomly mixed, like it is also not just randomly mixed on Netflix. You can filter through different perspectives. It's sorted. So that's basically our job. Our role is to filter this content, to categorize it. And in the end, it's some, yeah, it's a repository for pluralist economic teaching. Yeah, so those, those are the main, uh, I think, functions for, for students with this platform. Yeah, you have the discover section, the orientation section. And we also have uh, a section that has online courses, works very much in the same way. You discover courses. And we have a section for books now that's quite new. There was a, a very recent development that uh, people were thinking, hey, why don't we have a, a kind of ebook library? At the same, the same uh, idea. For example, a student wants to write a, um, an assignment, like a or an essay at university about, let's say, feminist economics, doesn't really know what topic to choose. So now you could go to Exploring Economics, you could look at books, you could also look at online courses, or you could look at general material, type in feminist economics, and then you see what kind of stuff there is in the internet. Ideally, we try to cover the whole internet, but this is obviously a never-ending job. So yeah, we always try to get more material. Yeah, I think the way it works yeah, still very like complicated maybe for people from the outside. So you just see the platform, but maybe we go into that also later. How, how do we actually put this content on there? Yeah, I would actually love to dive into that. How do you gather content or does it more come to you now? How did this, this, did this change when you just started, with, when the platform started versus how it is now? Yeah, it, it changed for sure. Actually, I wasn't. I was. I joined the team in 2017, so I've been, I've been working there for well four years almost, and I joined them when I started my master's program, and since then I finished it. In the beginning, so what what I know from what they told me is that in the beginning they really started in a small team, and really looked for really good e-learning content. So they basically had a Google Sheet, I would say and just collected, collected, classified, thought about how can we classify, we can classify by topic, we can classify by format, by perspective, so economic perspective, but also just using tags, you know, like word tags. And that's how they started. But since then, and that's really the ongoing mission, and also one of my main responsibilities in the team is really to, to make it work that people submit content by themselves and this is how it works now we have a submission form yeah there's a bunch of people who do it regularly there's people who only do it once in their lifetime they submit a video they like and they say hey i saw this video on on youtube for example a lecture 
by my professor, whoever, and then give a short description and then send it to us. Yeah. So the way exploring economics works is also that we have a, a big participate section. That's the last section of the page because we really depend on volunteers joining the team. So exploring economics was always quite a small team that was started with a big team of volunteers. And we now, our main volunteer team is our editorial team. So a team of international students, non-students, so people above, maybe around PhD, even some assistant professors, but really a very, yeah, quite diverse team of international uh, volunteers who take the, the responsibility, who take the role of going through content and uh, publishing it, because obviously not every content on the internet is uh, to be recommended. There's a lot of not so good stuff on the internet. And so that's their main role. And so how do you filter that? How do you know when something is good enough to put on the platform or when something is not right for exploring economics? Yes, we, we developed a guideline over the years. We always keep changing this because yeah, well, wow, the internet is changing so fast. Like you could see it now with COVID. All of a sudden, there's a whole lot of webinars happening and a whole lot of recorded webinars and it's completely changed the, the e-learning universe, I would say. So we always change the guidelines, but the main pillars or the main principles really like, first of all, it has to be free and accessible. So it's, it's really problematic if you have to log in to, to read that article or something, but it should definitely be for free. We then obviously look at the quality, like from the video quality as well, not always, but if it's a really bad video quality, it doesn't make too much sense. And then, yeah, what topic is it? And is the topic being presented in a, in a good way for students to learn? And then it's very important. I mean, we obviously have some, how could you say it, like no way criterias like this. Uh, the content can't be homophobic and racist. It can't be in any way, you know, discriminatory. So that's, that's, those are very easy criteria, but you obviously have to look through the stuff. And then, which I think the last criteria, probably forgetting a bit because the guideline really, it does develop a bit, but it's also important for us that this um, content provides some kind of clear perspective. So either it's very clearly a neoclassical e-learning material, or it's maybe something that looks at a topic from different perspectives. And in that, that's where the editorial team also comes in. Ideally, we um, look at content and say, okay, this is a, a video about the solo growth model, something. And then we write, okay, that's what it means. This is what you can see in this video. But then we also write, hey, um, this is this perspective, but we, you also could look at other perspectives. So that's, that's the ideal case, I would say, for, for our e-learning material recommendation. Yeah. So that's what you do or that's how it's delivered, that it already comes in different perspectives or it comes in just one? So my personal role, so my personal role would be um, the first one is a bit impossible is to try to keep the overview of the e-learning content <laughs> on the page. So it's like I'm kind of yeah, managing the editorial team. And the second role is fun and, and, and possible because it's basically trying to manage and coordinate the editor team and, and the editorial team. It, it re, yeah, we're really dependent on the editorial team. The editorial team has the responsibility to look through the content that's submitted. So, so you manage the international 
volunteer volunteer team then? Yeah, yeah, we have a we have a, a core team. So we have someone, for example, looking at the a lot at the IT side, the development of the page. We do a lot of development. Almost all the like a lot of the funding that we try to get goes into development because we want to improve the page. For example, make it more personal or make it more interactive. And we have someone like doing overall coordination, fundraising, and uh, we have someone doing community management, uh, organizing writing workshops, which is another part of our participate section. We have a lot of programs or ways how people can participate because that's the that's the last mission basically of the page. That's the participate section. Uh, it's it's really not just it's not supposed to be just a platform that's online. It's really also trying to be a tool for people to to work with. And especially over the last four years, I've experienced that a lot of rethinking economics members have done some kind of project that involved exploring. So that's the team. And yeah, my my main role, but we have so many little roles as, as well, but my main role would be managing editorial team. And yeah, that's really nice. So how can someone participate? What does that section entail? Yeah, we've, we've developed now for the editorial team over the years, a way to onboard people because we work with volunteers. And I think many people in the rethinking economics universe know like how to how it is to work with volunteers you always have something on the side you always have a main job or you have a kid or you have your studies so it has it needs a special way i think so what we do is twice a year we try to say okay there's a call for applications come and like register to become an editor it's really low-key it's not not high application but um, some way to so that we know who you are and what your skills are because obviously you need some skills and then that's the, like a three month onboarding program. And after that, they are like part of the senior editor team. And I think we currently have a senior editor team of, of, of like 20 people, which obviously fluctuates because as I said, sometimes someone says like, yo, I got a baby, <laughs> um, I'm out, you know, or, or something similar. Yeah, that's basically what I, what I mostly do at the platform now, communicating. What kind of skills does someone need? To become an editor, you, have, you don't necessarily have to be an economics student, but you have to realize that most content is obviously economics, but it is also very interdisciplinary. So we don't only have economists as editors or aspiring economists, who, however you want to identify, but it makes sense obviously to be interested in this. Then I think the, the second biggest thing would be really that you are able to work kind of alone in front of your computer in the internet, but at the same time also be very well working in teams because this is really, we've been doing this before COVID, <laughs> feeling cool. We used Zoom before uh, the Corona crisis. We've <laughs> always had this, like we always had this, like you sit in front of the computer and you're communicating with your fellow editors who are sitting somewhere else, time zones are a problem. So I think that's uh, the second skill you should have like to be able to do this and to commit to doing this because yeah, sometimes it's a bit lonely, but I think in the end, how it is in the rethinking economics network, especially is you always meet each other, you know? And, and we, we also do meet each other, even though people are from all over the world. Yeah, the rest, well, it's open, you know, like 
it's I mean it can help if you're an expert and you say like financial markets obviously that's great because then we have another expert in the team who says well, this is a really good content on financial markets or this is actually it doesn't make any sense this video sorry reject so that also helps and we, we try obviously to have a very diverse team also of, of senior editors who look at different theories topics methodologies yeah. so how is it to lead such a team what are the things you learned from leading a team like this? Like, yeah, it's it's really, it's learning every day. It's about the topics, especially, I mean, about the content. But with the team, with the different persons, it's also very hard, obviously, for me, just most of the time working alone in the computer. But in the end, I've met, I'm still meeting people. I'm not a student anymore. No? I finished my master's. But I still meet people and um, through the editorial team who suddenly say, well, I'm going to start the Epoch program, which is what I studied. And I'm like, wow, nice. Okay, you're coming to Berlin. And then we meet each other. So it's so nice, you know, to, to get to know so, so many different people. And when they then yeah, start maybe after three months to understand how exploring works, the whole review system, we have like some kind of review system, how the the meetings work and you realize they are like actually yeah getting a passion for it that's really nice because that's what we depend on really about people like getting a passion for it and then doing whatever they want to do with exploring economics translate it start a writing workshop or put out like use exploring for teaching you know that's obviously the actually the main mission I, I probably forgot that to say in the beginning. It's like the mission is, yeah, I forgot it probably because I think, okay, we are here at Rethinking Economics. Everyone has some kind of same vision. But yeah, I mean, the main mission is obviously the, the curriculum change as well. So we're part of the curriculum change movement because all the members, most of the members are part of it. And so in the end, we want to bring a positive change to the teaching. Yeah? I mean, we just as I think, most people in pluralism, people that are active for pluralism and economics, they they just try to not completely eradicate some kind of neoclassical or something. We just want to provide all of this so that whoever is interested in it uh, can have a look at it. Yeah. So, have you had feedback from teachers or students who learned through exploring economics that got their perspective changed or broadened? Yes, we, it's always good to get more of this because we always come up, come about it like randomly you know meeting someone like hey, actually i i used your page in my course I'm like, oh really okay nice you know you're a cool professor so I, I don't know the most recent encounters were like we had a workshop with kate uh, kate raworth for example who's really yeah seemed to really uh, have looked at the platform and used it and it was really nice so and we had a few campaigns in the past um, where we asked professors if they, if they use it and we collected some testimonials and it seems to to be like really a lot of people really know it and use it but since it's in the internet we don't always know that whether they do because they just go on the page but um yeah it's it's that's that's always nice to hear you know people using it yeah i bet so you already mentioned it. So what is the Epoch Masters? That's what I studied. <laughs> so what does it what does it include? What does it what do you learn there? <laughs> it's it's a I would call it a heterodox program. 
heterodox economics. I, I first studied in Hamburg because I was active in a local group, a local plural economic group, a local rethinking group, basically. That's how I found this master's. And this master, that's, that's how they described it first, is a heterodox master that's funded by the Erasmus Mundus program from the EU commission. And they had a five-year funding and they actually now have another five-year funding. So the program changed very slightly but to when I finished this, but it's still funded, which is very nice because that means they cooperate. Different universities collaborate in this program and it's, it's based in Paris and they have Berlin, they have Rome, they have Johannesburg in South Africa, they have other partner universities. And then I, because yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm into macroeconomics actually, I did Berlin and Paris. And you then learn, at least I learned a very post-Keynesian, a little bit of obviously mainstream, I was, I'm just trying to remember a bit of ecological economics as well, but very little, or very post-Keynesian masters, I would say. So I had a, a post-Keynesian training and you get to know, it's a really nice group of people you get to know because of the Erasmus Mundus funding, there's, uh, it's totally international, people that participate. And yeah, we're still, we're all still in contact. And it's very interesting where the people land also after this master's. Why is that interesting? Because it's, uh, I think, I mean, first you would think, at least that's what I thought in the beginning, heterodox economics, bit of a, a risky bet, you know? Will you struggle in the end? Now, like, now I have a family also, like, I'm was, will you, will you struggle? It's a basic question, but it's not the case because with this program, I'm realizing these people are really demanded, you know? The people that studied this program are ne necessary, especially in international organizations. There's a lot of people that worked, work in international organizations now and policy, I think, a lot of people in policy because this program from the beginning. So, I mean, one of my teachers, for example, there was Marc Lavoie or Eckhart Hein. Yeah, different people who we know, I think have always said, well, there's crises going on in economics or in, in the world, in the economic system. And they knew this before the crisis happened, you know? So it's, it's good to be prepared, I think. And like now the next uh, crisis happened. And I think a lot of governments, like in Germany, for example, they went yeah, very Keynesian again, for example. And I think many mainstream universities might have not focused so much on some of these policy programs, you know? That's so interesting yeah. because why some people don't pick a more heterodox master is often because they're scared they won't get a job. So they'll pick a master with a finance name in it so that they know they'll, they'll have a future, that they, they certainly have a future and work in it. So that's yeah. so interesting that that's not the case. Yeah, I know. That, that's so fascinating. It's, why do you think that is? Yeah, with this specific master, must be the content. I mean, it is a double master degree, so that also helps when you apply somewhere, I would say. Um, so you have two universities on your on your certificate. But I think the people that they, they take, they kind of activate each other, empower each other also to, to work on the different topics. I mean, it can still happen that you then go and study much more heterodox, do a PhD, 
and you still get isolated by the mainstream. That's that's not like it's it's not like people immediately are accepted everywhere, you know. But just from from my experience, I think the people I know um, have found really interesting jobs so far. Yeah. And so why do you think this bias against heterodox exists? Yeah, that's a that's a, that's a long story. Huh? Yeah, I'm hoping it, it changes in the moment, but you never know. But I think what many scholars have presented very nicely, I mean, even Nobel, uh, so-called Nobel Prize economics, um, how do you call it, laureates or people that win the prize, I mean, even some of them have wrote some papers about, for example, how the, the economic journals, which is the main way to advance in if you're in academics, I'm not, I'm a bit further away, I'm moving a bit further away from academics day by day, because I don't have time to write papers. But yeah, that's, there's people who shown how, well, these journals focus very much on very certain streams of economics, and some people call it mainstream economics. And the fact is that economics is very diverse. And I think people who are much more interested or think the solution might be a different way of thinking about economics, a different school of thought, something school of thought that completely thinks so much different about markets, they, they don't really get a chance to, to get into these journals. So I think that's one big, obviously, in the academic way is these journals. I think after the critique, they are trying to change. And, and then it's different from country to country, I think. Um, in Germany, for example, politics and policy, I feel like it's so much, it uh, was a bit more flexible now. It's like the paradigm change, there's a bit of a paradigm change. So people realize- well, people realized the old policy advice didn't really work. Um, <laughs> privatizing hospitals is like one of the examples that comes up a lot in the moment. And that goes, it's not just some random guy or girl or whatever um, saying, well, we should privatize hospitals. It comes, it has a theoretical basis, you know, it has roots. So, and it's most of the time, I think as Keynes already said, some kind of economist idea, some kind of economist who sits somewhere um, and had this idea and it is then in how it finds its way into politics. And I think there in Germany, the paradigm change in policy is, is much quicker than in the university. So there must also be some something in universities why um, different schools of thought or how many people call heterodox economics, they have it hard, you know, it's difficult. Yeah, and well, I know a lot of people, I think, who, who try to, to change this. And obviously they get also criticized. It's like some kind of just being the victim or something. You just want to be big an economist. That's why you, you think your weird Keynesian model is the best. But I think most people in the rethinking movement, they're really, they're really just trying to bring about a positive change. They try just to show the diversity that is there. You can't lie about it, but you, I mean, you can try to hide it. So, so going back to your masters, then if you learn mostly post Keynesian and, and mainstream, do you think you got the plural perspective or that there also was something missing? No, that's it. I also experienced that in, while working for exploring economics, 
it's really an intellectual challenge to to be like a complete pluralist meaning you know all the perspectives wow that's that's an intellectual challenge of another level so i really well as i said i really i think i probably got uh, post keynesianized that a lot into the post keynesian theories and methods but in this way also learned about the mainstream methods and uh, theories again and in the end ended up to be yeah mostly focusing on macro on monetary economics and on finance and i i, I try to always get the ecological perspective because it just interests me also from a policy perspective so i try to do that in my own time read up on that a bit but i think that those are the perspectives so you can already see like finance um, what kind of perspective is this is this new classic or not so but I would, if you describe it, say mostly post Keynesian and, and mainstream, I would say. Do you think that's a problem, or do you think that's not really a problem because other others focus on other topics or other plural perspectives? Like, if everybody gets three, would that be okay too? What do you think? I think you can you can do better. Like you can always try to do more. And they did that as well. There's different methods. So I think in my masters, they also have a joint series, um, well, joint lecture series that meant that they invited different professors for one lecture. And in this way, we actually got Marxist perspectives. We got feminist perspectives. So that I think it was a good way because I think there is definitely a limit to how much you can actually understand intellectually. Like, yeah, studying. 10 different perspectives in, in a master's program where you're trying not to, I think, to focus. In a bachelor program or undergrad, it might be different. There are undergrad programs where you can get 10 perspectives. Um, I think that there's one in Germany, for example, or two. You can do it. I didn't do it myself, but the people who did it said, yeah, it was okay. Yeah, so you really learned a lot of different perspectives. Yeah, but so three schools of thought was your question. Yeah, could be like a good, good amount, I think. With our program, and they did this now, and as far as I followed it, they added like ecological economics and feminist economics, I think. So if I, if they did that, if they had done that when I studied, I would have been grateful also for that, yeah. So you said your topic is macroeconomics. What, what is your topic? Yeah, well, during my master's, I focused on on finance and monetary economics, also policy because it was a policy master. So I'm also interested in monetary and fiscal policy. Currently taking a parental leave and working for exploring economics in the moment, it's really getting a bit wishy-washy, you'd say, because at exploring economics, I really get, I get in touch with all different perspectives, so many different ones, but I am still, like when I have time still, and I will also probably later be focusing on, on uh, finance. For example, in the moment, I find um, sustainable finance quite interesting. So um, there's a mix of where finance and um, the ecological perspective come together. And I feel, for example, the critical perspective that I got in my studies helps here a lot because a lot of people, when they think of sustainable finance, they see really a lifesaver, the, 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 the thing that saves the world, because they think the finance becomes green and finance is the everything and everything becomes green. But you 
you are ignoring the, um, the, 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 the look on the financial system itself. So I'm really interested in macro financial perspectives in the moment, like critical what do you macro mean? finance. What so do you basically, mean look on finance? Yeah, basically um, you look at, um, if you say sustainable finance, it would, that means finance saves the world or helps the, the transition to net zero to, to a lesser carbon, uh, to a lesser climate change because climate change is already happening. But you are, might be ignoring that the financial system itself might be the problem because of how the, the way it works. Okay, so, yeah. so it would be like green. Yeah. Yeah, it would be like turning finance green, but not changing the financial system. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, so you, you might be ignoring inequality. You, you might be ignoring just the, the, the immense growth of, of, of the yeah, asset, asset manager capitalism, basically. So the dynamics in the financial markets and I like to look at that. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I, yeah, as you asked, like what I'm interested in, this is what I would be interested in. I think people who, who work in the sector, there's also some like with a post-Keynesian perspective because the post-Keynesian school of thought looks a lot at the financial market, at um, finance, at monetary flows, but there's also like people with like some institutionalism so institutional economics. So I, yeah, I feel like it's also like a, a field which is very practical where a lot of different schools of thoughts come a bit together, you know? You know, there are some other fields where like just, you're just in your school of thought and you just stay by yourself. So that's what I, from a pluralist perspective, that's what I like it, you know? Yeah. Mm. So did exploring economics change your mind in some ways? Yeah, yeah. I. I started working there when I started my master, so four years ago, and really you, yeah, you just like learn every day by the content people submit and keeps you a bit on your feet. And, but I, I found a lot of inspiring stuff there as well on exploring itself here. Yeah. Do you have an example? Example, I think for sure how I I even applied for my master's. I wasn't part of exploring economics yet. I just knew that there is this platform. And I looked at some of the introductory lectures, which are like 45 minutes or an hour about post Keynesian economics. And at that point, I didn't know like anything about it, I would say, but I needed to for the interview. <laughs> so yeah, that, that helped me, you know, just a quick look. I really liked, for example, Perry Merling, his money perspective, and that's a, that's an online course. And I also found it through the page. I think someone must have submitted it, like 2018 or something. The course is a bit older already. And it's a really good online course on um, money, credit, finance. It, yeah, there's a lot of interesting content on, on yeah what many people just put under the word of decolonizing economics. So. I think that you don't get in, in many master programs at all. The, the problem, stratification economics, don't get that in many masters. Yeah, there's a lot of examples, you know? Obviously so the problem is how much time do you have <laughs> to read through all of them, yes. 
Yeah, although it is also that most people don't know it exists. So then finding it and realizing that there's actually different streams, different schools of thought than you thought there were or more than you thought there were. That is also so amazing about the platform itself and that it's free and open access for everybody. That's just wonderful because journals, you have to pay to read an article mm. or you have to be enrolled in a university. So that's that's absolutely amazing about the platform. Yeah, there's probably some of the visions that I haven't mentioned yet by some of the people that started it, people who are part of it now. As you said, that's one of the other the ways you could see exploring economics. It's it's not an exclusive journal. It's just there for really. It tries to be bottom up. Um, something that I also didn't mention yet. I think so. That's it's I think almost impossible probably to do it. But bottom up, you can try to do it. So meaning, it's really the students who have the interest in economics who then also kind of change how the way it's taught. You know, and not top down. Meaning some high uh, board of of a university decides what's what's on it you know in the way yeah so yeah in this way it, it obviously needs um, a lot of people joining and committing to 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 working there at exploring economics and that's so what's it. your what's your vision for exploring economics i hope it can grow that we increase the quality of the material the quantity also even though there's a lot but I think there's a lot more that's missing and we have a lot of perspectives that are missing and that's why we we cooperated so we collaborated recently with different groups also that's really the way it should work these groups coming to us say let's do something and for example the america soy um, which is the latin american network also affiliated with uh, rethinking and international or rethinking economics india which uh, very recently started very something very similar in collecting material. So I really hope that more initiatives like this can take the platform and kind of like even take it, own it in a way, you know, own part of it and, and put much more content uh, from perspectives that are missing. So that's specifically uh, authors and uh, theories, methods from global South countries that's missing and I hope there could be more. So one of my, like the smaller visions, because the bigger vision would be um, that the platform becomes like, yeah, the place to go to, I think, for pluralist e-learning. That's, I think, what the, the, yeah, the team always just says, like, you need some kind of big vision, and that would be it, I think, to just, you know, come better, yeah? Yeah, that's amazing. The Netflix of plural economics. That's pretty cool. <laughs> So with every guest, we do a little lightning round. So I ask a question and you just say the first thing that comes up. Cool. Okay. All right. What is a skill any economist should learn? Yeah, reflection, I think. Who do you admire or look up to in economics? I looked up from the very beginning to Ha Yun Chang, who started my interest in economics, I think. And the reason is because I think he can really, he's so good in explaining economics or any concept in economics so simple, you know? And I think that's what I would like to be able to, it's hard, it's really hard skill. Yeah. What is the question you want me to ask that I haven't asked you yet? Oof, yeah. 
not that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't know. Where can people find you or the things that you are most enthusiastic about if they want to learn more? Um, find me personally. Yeah, or the things that you want to plug here. Yes, I mean, obviously, you can go on Exploring Economics, the, the website. There's a newsletter. Or you immediately contact us to, to be part of it. So the first thing would be much more, you just immediately want to be part of it. You write us or you say, okay, let me put myself in the newsletter, maybe in the future. And then we have, yeah, obviously, social media. Myself, yeah, I'm on Twitter. So it's like the econ Twitter, you know, how it goes there. Um, that's where you can also find me, I think. Not the most active, but I would say that's, that's it. Um, Amazing. We'll also put the link to the movement or to uh, Exploring Economics down below. Yeah, and the email. Yeah. And so where do you see economics going? Economics, yeah, I'm seeing it go in um, how, how did Kate Raworth, for example, say, like, yeah, it's a science that prepares us kind of a future fit science, a science that makes future fit economists, basically, a science that provides also reflection. I think that's why I thought that's an important skill for economists to reflect that you are not always right. Actually, you're almost never right. You're always going to do something wrong or predict something wrong. And yeah, so in, a, in, a, in one way, economics needs to like take a step back a bit, not be the most important science. But at the same time, it also, I think, has a huge responsibility to to bring the world to like a better place, more sustainable future for all. That's that's where I would wish economics go, would go, provide a future for a sustainable future for, for all. Yeah. And then the final question, what is your advice for future economists? Future economists. Yeah, do I think it makes sense to pick pick a topic that you're passionate about it because it's a big field. And I feel like I might have done that not enough or too late, but at the same time, like uh, try to keep open to so many more perspectives. It might think you might think it takes a lot of time to read through all of the stuff, but sometimes a small video is enough to just get such a different perspective. Which, if you're, for example, modeling, might change your whole model in in a way. You know, that's I would say that. Yeah. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for doing this. Thank you for listening to the Rethinking Podcast. Hit the follow button on your platform so that you'll stay up to date with all we have in store for you. You can also find Rethinking Economics and L on social media. Just click the links down below. Until next time, we'll rethink again soon.